All right, social media family. Thank you for joining us once again for another installment in the Lessons from David series. Now, we are on Lesson 6.2, 6.2, Seeing Through the Covenant Part 2. So I know last time we went and then we dug into the famous Bible story with David and Goliath. So what we'll do, we are going to continue on that track to continue to, to milk this theme of seeing through the covenant. Seeing through the covenant. So let's go to back to 1 Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. And let's start at first. Start at verse 32. First Samuel 17, starting at verse 32. And it reads like this from the New Living Translation says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. All right, let me pause here. All right. So now we were talking about this last week. So let's recap. From a natural perspective, was Saul giving a unfactual statement mm -hmm. from a natural perspective? No, it was pretty apparent. He was a boy, a young guy, and this guy, this man was, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. But the title of the lesson is Seeing Through the Covenant. Right? Yeah. So, obviously, David had a different lens he was looking at the whole situation through. Verse 34, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Now you see the confidence in David's speech, right? Now we talked about last week the lion and the bear. These ain't small animals. Mm -hmm. These are not small animals. But yet still, he's out there shepherding his sheep, protecting his sheep, putting his life on the line for sheep. And successfully has done that time and time again. So with that confidence, seeing God work in those moments, 
Goliath is just another critter. Yeah. That's good. Yes. That's good. <laughs> A, a, a big, mighty big critter, mm -hmm. but a critter nonetheless. Yeah. Right. That's now, the end of verse 37, it says, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then he armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Now, how bold is this? I just want you to get that mental image. That he's passed He's cocky. When they said he was going to fight, he was like, I, I, I can't handle this guy. He ain't nothing. And they're all saying, you're just a kid. Were you crazy? Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the conversation that went on. Mm -hmm. and, and all, all the guys in, in the army are betting saying, he ain't going to make 10 minutes, you know? Right. That's the difference of doing something with the anointing of God. Oh, he knew, yeah, he knew. He'd been through this before. David when knew. Saul tried to put his arm, that's the work in the flesh. But this message is when faith rises up and you do something that's impossible, don't let all those people around you talk you out of it. Well, he was trying to talk them in the natural. Mm -hmm. David wasn't in the natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and when Saul tried to give him his armor, he tried it on. So he tried it. He tried it on. Yeah. But he gave it a shot. It he like, knows this that don't feel right. this don't feel right. This is not I don't I don't know what no, to do I, with this. I don't need all this stuff. Plus it don't feel right. And just imagine how the soldiers were looking, everybody's looking. When this man picks up five stones with and puts it in a bag. And he's he's gonna he's gonna do what? Run out to the Goliath, and the guy's spear is just big around and ten feet long. Yeah, and, and well, the, the spearhead we we talked about last week was like what 15, 25 pounds. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, just, just the tip of the spear. Yeah. He wasn't letting any of that affect his thought pattern, because all he sees, like I said, through the covenant, is um, who does he think he is? Um, you know, I'm going to do it. I'll take care of it. I'm not scared of him. Right. I know what I've done. I know what God has did for me. Here's everybody else was scared to death. Like we talked about this last week too, you know. And then like, but David, all he could think about was like, like mom says, like, who does this guy think he is talking about my God or God that way? He just wanted to get it done. It was like, he want to get it. Right, <laughs> right. Now seeing through the eyes of the covenant. Right now, I'm, I don't want to do exactly a, a repeat of last week, but I think we really, it'll be good for us to kind of see. Again, this situation, right? You know what it looks like in the natural. But then looking at it through the eyes of the covenant. All right, so let's go to Deuteronomy 28. And we're going to start at verse 1. 
Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to start at verse 1. Uh, I'll stay with the New Living Translation here. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commandments that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and bread boards will be blessed. Whatever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are people claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land. He swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Now, imagine this is for you. This David, right? Seeing through the eyes of those promises. Now, that situation looks a whole lot different. Looking at it through the eyes of those promises than it does looking at the situation from your natural eyes. Yeah. Because if you if if you believe, if he believed what is said here, look at verse seven. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. And what was this Philistine doing? What was the Philistine army doing? Running their mouth. Mm -hmm. Yep. If David saw through God's promises, not through, you know, mm -hmm. But he had, he had to be fooled himself, though, knowing that he's killed a bear, you know, and a lion, barehanded, or just with a club. You got to know you got some. You got stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He had testimonies. Was that they overcame by the word of the blood of the word of the testimony. So he, he had a revelation from God, but he also he also had the, the information. He knew he was that God had ordained him a, a bad dude, you know. Yeah, yeah he had seen it. Or tough. And he also he had already received that prophecy from the prophet Samuel, right? That he would he was anointed king. 
And so, I mean, he knew he couldn't die there on the battlefield. Right. He had yet to become king. Hmm. He still had to run through a troop and leap over a wall. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So you see how David has this practical experience of God's movement, his, his operation through him with the lion and the bear. And then there's the, the direct prophetic word of his kingship coming from Samuel. Right. And of course, you know, we reading from Deuteronomy 28. This is this is the, the Torah right here. God's written word. So you look at all this in totality, right? To so he his lens, what he's looking at the situation through, is anything but natural. Because obviously that, that it's going to take revelation for you to be that bold or cocky, as Gene said. Oh, man. In, was, in, that, in the face of that situation. I was deer hunting one time. My cousin shot a deer. This is up in the mountains. And it was near dark. And he said, you sit here with a deer and I'm going to get the other guys to help us get it down off the mountain. And I sat. I knew a bear around there. And I sat up there and I could hear a bear behind me. I had a shotgun and I was scared to death. Because it was getting dark and you couldn't see very far. Mm -hmm. You hear that thing grunt and growl every now and then. Oh, man. Right. Now imagine you being like 10, 11, 12 years old, mm -hmm. having to fight that off from uh -uh. the sheep. Uh-uh. He did it, though. He did it. And he spent a lot of time with God, I believe, in those fields. <laughs> so... I'm looking at my notes here from the study guide for the point where it says circumcision. Now we know circumcision was the sign of the covenant, right? Okay. In verse 26, David points out this uncircumcised Philistine. So he identifies Goliath as a non-covenant person, right? So think about the threats, all of the things that Goliath is saying and the Philistine army is taunting, right? Is coming from the uncircumcised, those outside of the covenant. Why should the people of Israel, why should Saul, the king, the present day king, and his army be fearful. If they believed what was written. I don't think they did. When they were out Canaan land and they were surveying the land and all the spies came back and said, they're giants. We can't take these guys. You know? If they were walking in that covenant, they'd have a different attitude. Mm -hmm. Caleb and who was the other guy that said Joshua. Joshua said, no, nah, no, nah, we can do it. We're more naval. There's always a remnant, you know, throughout the Bible. You see that it's like a small, that really have a heart, you know. Not that the other people were bad, you know, necessarily all the characters, but just the Bible characters. But, just, you know, even that situation, like, 
no, God's bigger, you know, and everybody's like, no, no, we can't do it, you know? Yeah. And I like what you said, where you said they're not bad. Yeah. Because you don't have to be a, a, a morally bad person to suffer from doubt and unbelief. Because there are a lot of believers, the Christian folks, mm -hmm. yeah. a lot of us who are good moral people, but, but are strangled by doubt and unbelief, carnal reality, carnal reality. Yeah. Think about the 12... Disciples, especially the eleven. Who was it that went with him the most? You know, went with the special places. Not, we used to think that Jesus loved them more. No, they were just closer because with the other were not bad. They saw, they loved, they believed they had issues. But it wasn't like you know Jesus didn't. He loved you know James, John, and Peter the most. They just were the remnant that goes. I'm going a little further. For them. That's what we were talking about the other day. You know, they weren't they weren't bad for sure. Just um, it's just the three. They were more hungry for the things, and they just yeah. Even they messed up. I mean, falling asleep. And then unbelief. We all have that. Yes. Imagine you're in a meeting and there's miracles happening, and uh, the guy on the platform calls you and says, "You pray for the next guy in the wheelchair." You got to you got to go. Do what? I mean, yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Move on down. Your faith's got to be in a certain place. All right. So, since Gene already mentioned it, he already knew where I was going. Let's go to num Numbers 13. Right. Numbers 13. We're going to start at verse 25. Now, I'm, I'm looking at New Living Translation here, and the, the subtitle in this part of the chapter says, The Scouting Report. The Scouting Report. Now, any of us who know sports know that, you know, before a game, there's a scouting report where, you, where there's a, it's, it's a, a list of things like what the strengths and weaknesses of a team are, right? goes over a game plan for how to defeat the team that you're about to play. All right, Numbers 13, starting at 25, says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron. In the whole community of Israel at Kadesh and in the wilderness of Paran, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and the Amaleks live in the Negev, and the Hittites. The Jebusites, Amorites, live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan River. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let us go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men 
who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the, the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored would devour anyone who gives, who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. They're the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Now you see, it's different, different scouting report. But does anybody know why, why did they say, I always wondered, and that's what they thought too. Did they, how did they know that what the other people thought? Did they meet up with them? They didn't know. They didn't know. They were just assuming. Mm -hmm. Like almost like a second death. That's probably what they thought too, I guess. Like, you know. But it's. So they don't know what they thought. So why? I mean, we, we all do that. We all, you know, face situations and think we yeah, all. If I'm going to fight a guy and I come up to his belt buckle, I'm going to be thinking I'm in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying we all do that. We can, you know, be going through something or we can be having a um, maybe dispute with somebody and, and we uh, come up with our mind. Well, you know what? They think this and they ain't even thought nothing about it. Right. So we all do that. David was fighting one giant. This was a, a whole whole nation full of giants. And it scared these guys. Mm -hmm. Now, just for context, too, in the um, if you if I look at the, the footnote here, did you word giants is Nephilim? Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So you know that the you know these, the these nation of Goliaths. Yeah, these jokers are huge. Mm -hmm. That's why David cut his head off because he was a he was a half a, Fallen angel and human woman. He was he was bred from that. So again, looking at giants, literal giants, does it make natural sense to be fearful? Yes, absolutely. So he's just, as they say, keeping it one hundred. The other the other ten, the other spies, right? Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they, and that's what they thought too. Now, like Sue's question, how did they know? Well, the reality is they didn't know. They didn't. But here's the thing: this is a cognitive distortion. I'm gonna be um, therapist right now. Put my therapist hat on. Where we mind read based on some preconceived notions we have about the person and ourselves, we jump to a conclusion on what the other person is thinking or will do based on that instead of objective reality. And this is what we see right here. Because you see what the you see why they felt like right. They they felt this way here, but before that they said we felt like grasshoppers. They're looking at themselves, mm -hmm. and then they're looking at the giants. So again, it makes natural sense. Yeah, that's, when, that's when you say, I'm going to fight, but I'm taking communion first because I'm sure I'm going to die today. You know? Because looking at this situation, it makes natural sense to be scared. 
But the title of our lesson is Seeing Through the Covenant. But so, what always happens is it's like people, we make a judgment and then, but what we need to start doing is start asking questions. Because why they never asked Caleb and or Joshua, like, oh, why do you believe what you believe? They People, they've got this and I'm right and that's it. I mean, that's, yeah. they so never ask, oh, you have that Cadillac because you think you're special or it's just any all these judgments. It's like, oh, you're greedy because you, you know, it's like it's just so many, it's just always a judgment, but never asking questions. They, they had a word. Right. They had a word from right. God that I'll give you the land of milk and honey. I'll take you and do it, give yeah. it to you. That was all they needed. If they could grab on to what God said, they could have went in there and kicked butt and take names. But it's never, it's never, oh, well, how come you believe like you believe? It's it's never that. It's I'm right and that's it. That's really fine. They're no. They, that problem is they never ask any questions. Well, it's like Julia said. They went right back into their natural minds. Right. They were looking at the natural. Yeah. They they can't see how you believe what you mean. Yeah. But they looking at the natural. Something just huge and you know in the natural. It's like this is impossible. And so, God tells you to do something like like when He tells me to do something, even if it was scary, I do it because I know He told me to do it. And uh, sometimes it's the last thing in the world you want to do. You know. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, the easiest thing to hear is, "Did God really say that? <laughs> yeah. Did He really say? That? Did you hear Him too? Did He say exactly, did he exactly say that? like that?" <laughs> right. So you know, and and Sue's making points that are, are, are valid, but the thing about it is, when we talk about seeing through the covenant, right? What's going to happen when when adversity comes, when things happen, when you're faced with challenges? You're going to revert back to those core beliefs. What's in your heart? What What is here? Find out what's really there. Right. And see, Caleb, he was looking through the, the eyes of... God's promise. He was maybe years later. He said, we can take that mountain. Because how how couldn't he not have and respond the way he did? He said, we certainly can conquer it. Mm-hmm. So either he either got a word from God or he got a mental illness. Yeah. Something wrong with him. <laughs> right? Because because in the again, in natural makes no sense. You got Nephilim, right? It ain't just and it ain't just one or two on. It's a nation. Yeah. Right? And you, you know, regular five, 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 ten regular people. In the Middle East was probably five, one, five, two. <laughs> I mean, come on. So they twice your height. And God knows how how big and whatever. All of all of the other other things they had going on. But he says, surely. Certainly, we can conquer. But they also didn't, like, God has a plan, you know. Where's God, you know, God has a plan how you're going to do it. Now, he just told them to go in and take the land, that he was going to give them the land. Flow but, but they could have, but they needed to inquire of the Lord, like, how are we going to do, you know, how are we going to do this? Because wasn't there somewhere a Bible or something about 
God doesn't care if you ask questions, you know. Um, like he doesn't, questioning doesn't mean you're doubting. No, I ask questions you know all the I mean? time. Yeah, so that's like, so right. ask some questions, but that's, right. there's no questions being answered. No, that's it. And God, they called it an evil report. So, and then God wasn't happy and he's like, well, you're, you know, you people aren't going to go into the promised land. So he was. But they eventually to, rose up and knocked out all those giant tribes. And, not the ones and over 40 did, or what mm -hmm. age? They didn't. Yeah. How old? 40 and older or something. But you know, another principle of the way God works, he told Abraham to leave and go. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. Yeah. You have to take the first step of faith, and then you'll get step two. Yeah. He doesn't give you a full blueprint because mm -hmm. that requires no faith. If you can see everything, everything's laid out for you, anybody can do that. But you know, it was so interesting. How do we? How did Abraham know there weren't going to be giants in his way? I never had that thought. Abraham didn't know that there might be giants down the road, and he went anyway. He probably just trusted the Lord. It's going yeah. to be, it's going to be okay. So that, um, so putting the two together, I never put the two those two things together. It's like, oh yeah, well he went. He didn't worry about giants, did he? He didn't even know where he was going. No. All right. Maybe. Right. So it, it's not a big deal that God didn't tell them how to fight. Yeah. If they had just gone, yeah. then the information, the revelation, whatever they needed mm -hmm. would be there. But they didn't go. Right. <laughs> All right. And an example of what Sue's talking about, you know what, when Mary asked the angel, how could this be? When the angel told him that, you know, he that she is going to be the, the mother of the Lord, right? And how could this be, seeing that I'm a virgin, right? That's what she said. But it was a genuine question. Mm -hmm. She wasn't questioning God. Mm -hmm. As in doubting, but having a, just a general question of how in the world is going to happen? Because naturally, don't that don't add up. And thus, she you know she got revelation based on the question she asked, because there was still there was still a belief there. So, and to Sue's point, when we when there are things going on that we don't understand. Right, and there's a lot. There's a lot of natural opposition. One of the best things we can do is just go to the Lord and say, "Hey, I, I don't. I need your help. I need some wisdom here. I don't know what's going on." And that's the difference between Mary and Zechariah. He asked the question, but his question was in unbelief. Yeah, because then he kept disputing after they, I've heard teaching all of it. The reason and then why, did God, shut. why did God shut Mary's mouth? Because she just asked, like, hey, how is this? It's like this. Oh, okay. He was like, but I don't know. I kept on so going She on. said, like, I, I receive what you're saying, but how? So she, but he didn't receive that that was going to happen. So the Lord had to shut his mouth, or otherwise he could have possibly with his words stopped it from happening. Hmm. Sometimes like God can shut our mouths in a different way, too. Gives us the answer, not sarcasm, because God's not sarcastic. But He answered me about something recently, and it was like, "You're not God," and I'm like, "I mean, it was just like, dang." But He knows what to tell. We ask Him, though. He really does. That's <laughs> interesting what she said, because yeah, looking at that, there's some just speaking something out your mouth. Yeah, whether you can stop. Word, your words can yeah, be stabbed against be God. Negative. 
Mm-hmm. You can cause something not to mm-hmm. happen because of what you say. Mm-hmm. Well, death and life. Power of tongue. And that's a principle. I know some religious folks can't stand it. Because it puts responsibility on us. Yeah. But confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's 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 a big deal. I mean that you know, there's power in that 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 little red thing in your mouth, mm-hmm. right? You know, I thought about it too. We're saying here about things not being what they seem to be. We don't ask questions. This is a side note, but it kind of involves what we're saying here. Is I thought about it. I said, in my life recently, I've been kind of led to be off social media for a while. I have like Facebook and things like that, but I just go, we all put our good stuff on there mostly, you know, and it's been a point in my life where ask questions like we're saying, you know, it's not that I'm asking these people questions, but I go ask them in my heart. I go, it'll look like somebody has everything together and they're doing it their way or doing it whatever way. And I go, but you don't know, you know, what's behind the scenes and I have friends, and I'll say some friends I love to death. I know I can't share certain things in my life with them, what God has led me to do, because they would think I was completely had lost my mind. <laughs> but I look at them, and I go, some of the things they chose out of they didn't think they could trust God, or they don't want to, and I go, I think they're completely insane with all love, of course, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just that perception of what you said, you know? Just as a side note. Mm-hmm. Let's go to... Psalm 78. I'm doing a lot of reading tonight, but I want us to kind of just think about, you know, what, how powerful this is because to, to allow the word to paint the picture. Now, I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to hear what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. Verse five, he, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn would teach their own children. So each generation should set his hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles, and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, and refusing to give their hearts to God. All right. So you see how David is setting a precedent here on the importance of the word and passing that down. Okay. Verse 9 says, The warriors of Ephraim Though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. 
the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zoan in the land of Egypt. For he divided the sea and led them through, making the water stand up like walls. In the daytime, he led them by a cloud and all night by a pillar of fire. He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water. As from a gushing spring, he made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. Yet they kept on sinning against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. Verse 18 in the King James says, And they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lust. Now look at verse 11 again. They forgot what he had done. The great wonders he had shown them. The miracles he did for their ancestors. So one of the one of the ways that you can kind of lose vision, spiritual vision, is to forget the goodness of God in your own life and the lives of your ancestors. And this is why they, you know, they talk about monuments, setting monuments up and giving testimony. how valuable that is. And I know Eric know he remember them them old services where people used to give them testimonies. All right. Now there was a lot of value in that. Now of course, you know, once people get in the flesh and they start competing and making up stories, <laughs> fake testimonies, but there we go. Test the lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to Dr. Jesus. He's never lost a case. And I've heard that testimony over and over and over again. Yeah. But the original intent of those services is to do what? To bring glory mm-hmm. to God, to give people a picture of like, look, this is what God did for me. So when you see that, you hear that, then is is reinforcing the reality of God's goodness in in the flesh, so you can see some some confirmation of what the word says right in front of your face. But it says here they re, they forgot they forgot. They and, never got over and over and over again. They forgot. And, and and that's that's and it's just wow. You know, you think about all of the the miraculous stuff. Just just imagine going to the James River, and then your your pastor stand up with a staff, and it's split, and y'all walk on the suffer. And then the pastor says, "Follow me," and he starts walking in. Half the people stay back. <laughs> Uh-uh. I'm going to wait and see if that water falls in on that. But just imagine now you in that group and you see and you walk on and suffer. Yep, yep. And then that joker closed back up. I heard somebody say it was only a foot deep and somebody else said, well, how do all those horses and 
chariots and everybody drowned in it. It was a foot deep. Yeah. Well, that's even more miracle then. Them drowning in a foot of water. <laughs> but think about that, right? They, they, you know, you, they, they witnessed that. But yet, there's a backsliding. Back into idolatry. Don't you think ungratefulness does that? Mm. When we're not grateful, our hearts get hardened. Mm. And we don't remember the good things. Yeah. But I mean, somebody say that's when, when you're successful, that's the greatest time you're vulnerable for temptation or, you know, just to get when you are successful, not when you fail. Because, you know, you, like he just talked about, you see something like that, man, that's awesome. You know, you, huge success. And as you said, you become ungrateful. And it's like, oh, well, I guess you get a sense of entitlement, you know, and then you begin to take for granted, like you said, what he has done, what he's done in your life. And so, yeah. Isn't that what Paul told Timothy about the last days? The character of men? Ungrateful. Because that, that ingratitude, that thing, it, it opens the door for hardness. Yeah. All right, so see, I'm going to blame this on Terry. I'm going to put my, my therapist hat back on. Could we talk about gratitude, right? That's one of one of the interventions for depressive symptoms. Right? To like to do what we call gratitude journaling or or making gratitude statements where you intentionally write down things that you're thankful for. And you know, you can get so deep into a hole of depression where you can't see nothing. You can't see anything. And then you had to take the person and say, okay, well, how about the socks you have on? I'm like, I guess I'm thankful for that, I guess. How about taking a breath, being able to breathe clearly? Because you never smoked. <laughs> or... or being able to see across the room, right? Because again, what that that depression or spirit of heaviness, as the scripture will say, what it will do, it will just strangle your ability to see good. Because even in 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 bad situations, if there is something that you can latch on to, to give thanks for. It, it keeps your ears open. It allows there to be hope there. And if hope is there, mm -hmm. then faith can operate. But when there's hopelessness, faith is cut off. In my experiences in charismatic circles, sometimes I think we get caught up in if we're not seeing some amazing supernatural thing going on in our lives, we get quiet. We think, well, we start looking at the negative. 
Well, I'm not experiencing that. Well, I haven't had any miracles. I haven't laid hands on anybody. And thinking like that, too, causes you to get, instead of being grateful for, hey, I woke up this morning, <laughs> you know, when I was breathing and I got out of bed with no pain. We, if we would focus on those little things, I think that would even help help us receive more in the supernatural. But because we, we stop being grateful for all those little things that God does for us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, I think it hinders the move of the Spirit in our lives to do those things that we want to do. Kids kids can be grateful for such little things. We had our grandchildren over and the little boy stuck with me. And he got up in the morning and said, Papa, that was the best sleep I ever had. He said, I mean, he was so grateful for being able to sleep. He, could, he says, I can't wait to come home when it's dark and go back to bed again. Wow. Wow. That's, that, I'm saying. I'm saying. Now, that looks like a small, simple thing. It was a big deal for him. But that's a big thing. Yeah. And see, it will be a big thing for you if you was robbed of sleep. You talk to somebody who's been suffering from insomnia for years, and they, they'll tell you. They're, 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 they get a good night sleeping rag like just like his grandson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what has been interesting, I've been able to get back to the prophetic with the class I took. And so this has nothing to do with, you know, like whether you're healed or not healed. It's the prophetic and then prophetic signs has been so fun. So it's not a healing. It's not, you know, it's something that God did that was connected to something prophetic like um I'm so like I'm in I didn't choose to be a numbers person but you know I'd see four 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 you know and then some other ones. So um the latest one four four seven or seven four four whichever one had to do with something prophetic with Chuck Pierce and I thought okay I gotta listen to that from Bethel Temple because July's number seven. So I cut, I was some, I think I came up with 447 had to do with that. So I'm obsessed with the show Bones. Two days in a row, I and I don't even watch, I found this show on a, a couple different channels. So as I'm thinking 447, you know, I'm watching Bones one day and, um, I'm like, oh, I had to rewind my TV because I was doing something else. Well, the end of I said, like, oh, rewind it. That's the last show. Well, guess what? She had taken a clock, an analog clock, from when the building exploded. What time was it on that clock? 4.47. The next day, different channel, Bones. I'm watching it the next day, literally. The show starts off. Boom, Boons, Booth is in sleeping, and they have the clock, the ant, the digital clock. And what time was it? Four, four, seven. And so, this is me talking about introducing the thank you, God, for the prophetic. It's not healing. It's not. It's being grateful for. And here's another aspect of God doing things <laughs> in the prophetic. He's on like, and on and on and on. It's just like so. It's gotten it's gotten so great. It's fun. It's fun though. When it's, you, it's when you start just hearing God and you start knowing it's Him. Nuts. It's fun.
Yeah, and that's only one small of tons mm -hmm. and tons of prophetic stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a lady one time, and I, I looked at her, and all I could see was flowers all over her. And I said, yeah, there's, there's something to do with flowers with you. I don't know what it is. She started crying. She yeah. said, I'm going to run God's greenhouse when I get to heaven. She said, my house is full of flowers. And, uh, and she, just, yeah. she, she knew it was God speaking to her, just encouraging her. Yeah, but so what was the end result of it was about, you know, she was grateful. She, oh, she was thrilled. So yeah, she was grateful. So... <laughs> I wish we had more people that were doing prophetic, you know, like would be talking about and learning and discussing the prophetic because it's just another thing, you know. I'm still working on being a child. Walking down the hill when I walk, mm -hmm. I catch myself looking out and just going, Thank you for the green trees. Thank mm -hmm. you for the air today. A breeze will come because it's real humid or something. I go, thank you for the breeze. Mm -hmm. Just little things like that. And I go, but that means a lot now because you're really noticing the little things. I go, I want to keep my eyes up instead of always looking down at my feet, make sure I don't trip. <laughs> I go, no, I'm going to look up because we have rocks. You know, right. so you walk through grass, everything. And I said, just look up and go, thank you for. I can, you know, walk over 1.4 miles now. I think that I made it. Instead of looking at, you know, like kids, they're going, like, oh, i got to walk all this way. They do sometimes. Most of them like, oh, can we go? And I go, oh, look at this. I have 14 to do. And I only have 11 more to do. Now I'm at 10. Now I only have four more to do. Instead of looking at negative. <sighs> yeah. Like that, I go, I almost did it. Oh, my gosh, now I made it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, I made it. Yeah. Yeah, because gratitude is just, it's an open door for the goodness of God. Absolutely. That's what it is, what it is, you know. When you hear people come here from other countries, and they'll say, you get up in the morning and you wonder which car you're going to drive to work. You open the closet and want to know what suit out of 40 of them are you going to wear. He said, you guys have abundance, like, like he said, where I live, he said, nobody's got, no, nobody has nothing like that. He says, he says, you eat what's it, what's there to eat if there is something to eat, you know? And, and you, don't, you don't realize just living here that how blessed we are. All right. Yeah. All right. So, you know, and it's just, it's a different test. You got tests of adversity and lack, and it's a test of abundance. I grew up in lack. I like abundance a whole lot better. Yeah, I take it. I take that too. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you got to like. Yes. I remember my dad bought a fan. I was 15. He bought a fan and he put a big hunk of ice in a pot in front of it. I was having the air blow across the ice. That was his air conditioner. Yeah, oh, mine was a fan and a washcloth. We had two TVs. One had sound, one had picture. And that was about <laughs> where we had to get up and walk over and change channels yes. on each one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you already know who gets to watch what. Mm hmm there was, was only three channels, so you didn't have much choice. Well, still so you argue. I want to watch that channel. I want to watch. That's funny, but just and and you just think about that. Now there's TV in every room. Because we, you know, we just bathroom. you just you don't think about this stuff. Now we got like two hundred fifty channels. Mm -hmm. My father never had a car until I was seventeen or eighteen, I think. I mean, half of it's garbage, but mm -hmm. you know, but still, if you want, if you wanted your choice of garbage, you got it. Yeah. We yes. only had one TV all the time our kids were growing up, and I said something. My students asked me, 
one time, how many TVs do you have? And I said, we have one. They freaked out. And I said, well, we only have one because we're learning to share. We honor each other. If Gene wants to watch, we know he likes MacGyver. We set aside that night for MacGyver if Joel wants. So we honor each other. They looked at me and they said, you don't live in, in the modern times. You're ancient. You remember that movie, <laughs> in Back, Back to the Future? And one of the scenes in there, uh, they're asking the, uh, the star, the kid, how many TVs you have? And he said, two. And the, the husband and wife looked at each other and said, nobody has two TVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did not. Right. Let's go back to Psalm 78. I want to keep reading. Uh, I'll fast forward. Let's go to 32. I'll start at 32. All right. But in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. So he ended their lives in failure, their years in terror. When God began killing them, they finally sought him. They repented and took God seriously. Then they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They did not keep his covenant. Yet he was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them all. Many times he had held back his anger and did not unleash his fury. For he remembered that they were merely mortal, gone like breath of wind that never returns. Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in that dry wasteland. Again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked the Holy One of Israel. Now I'm going to read that in King James, verse 41. Mm -hmm. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited, limited the, Holy the Holy One of Israel. I got a sticker on my refrigerator that says, don't limit God. I think Andrew put him out. It's a woman, I think. Yeah. So, and, and, and if for everybody that gets freaked out by that statement, it's right here in the word, verse 41. Yeah. And just like the, the point that Terry made about Zacharias, why his, his mouth had to be shut. His mouth was shut. Because they did, he didn't want that doubt and underbeef to be continually spewed out of his mouth to hinder the promise of God, to hinder John the Baptist from being born. That was that was, that was part of the spanking he got. His kid wasn't named after him. They named him John. <laughs> so you do what you say, what you hear, that stuff matters. Forty-two. They did not remember his power, how he rescued them from their enemies. They did not remember his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders on the plain of Zoan. For he turned their rivers into blood so no one could drink from the streams. He sent vast swarms of flies to consume them and herds of frogs to ruin them. He gave their crops to caterpillars. Their harvest was consumed with locusts. He destroyed their grapevines with hail and scattered their sycamore figs with sleet. He abandoned their cattle to the hail 
their livestock to the bolts of lightning. He loosed on them his fierce anger, all his fury and rage and hostility. He dispatched against them a band of destroying angels. He turned his anger against them. He did not spare the Egyptians' lives, but ravaged them with, with the plague. He killed the oldest son in each Egyptian family, the flower of youth throughout the land of Egypt. But he led his own people like a flock of sheep, guiding them safely through the wilderness. He kept them safe so they were not afraid. But the sea covered their enemies. Paul's here. So David, what he did in the psalm, he is just going down the line. Now he's recalling all this. Right? So David, knowing this, this was the David that did what when Goliath defied the army of Israel. Right? But again, this just goes back to what we were talking about, what the lesson title is. Seeing through the eyes of the covenant. And the manifestation of that covenant is just all through what he's saying. All through there. Fifty-four. He brought them to the border of his holy land, to this land of hills he had won for them. He drove out the nations before them. He gave them their inheritance by lot. He settled the tribes of Israel into their homes, but they kept testing and rebelling against God most high. They did not obey his laws. They turned their back and were faithless as their parents. They were as undependable as a crooked bow. So you just, he just goes on and on to give the history of God's goodness in Israel's backsliding. And the common theme is you hearing this word forget, to forget. So now here's a question. All right. So if me as a New Testament, New Covenant believer, I want to see life through the eyes of the covenant. How do I do that in 2023? Rehearse what the word says. Same way David did. You have to know your God. Yeah. You know who we are in Him. That's good. All right. So, how do I rehearse? How do I rehearse? How do I do that? In the time in the world. Our covenant starts with Jesus. So remembering him, you know, um, Jesus, or Paul said, um, I remember Christ and him crucified. 
that's our starting point, really. And the, the blessings of, of um, Abraham and, and Israel, you know, we, we get to enjoy that, but it, it starts at the cross. One way I take communion frequently, real early in the morning when I get up as part of my quiet time, mm-hmm. and that's a chance to rehearse our relationship. That's good. Who he is. That's good. Involving him in our everyday lives, knowing that he cares about our everyday lives too, like not just the big things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. like we think, you know, big, big. You know, have does that have to be big? It's just, you know, like I said, the small stuff, like Terry was saying, you know. That's good. Yeah. 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 Being thankful, he said, well, I'm down the steps. I mean, the, the, the path way I do, the yard. So, Mary, do you? How do you incorporate that Jesus and the cross in your life? Do you like think about that when you when you wake up every morning, or what do you do? For me personally, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot. It's um, and it is a lot of times when I'm first waking up because I don't know about the rest of you, but I can have a lot of credit in my mind as I'm waking up, it, and I've got to beat that back and or. Uh, Allow the Lord to cleanse it. So I just, I just start. Well, I, I, I know I've said it before, but I found praying in the Spirit. You know, using the prayer language that He's given has just been amazing. For for being that washing of the water of the Word, and and remembering Jesus. Yeah, I, I, whenever I'm struggling with anger or bitterness or you know, whatever, um, going back to the cross, remembering what Jesus has done for me is a real turning point because he's forgiven me. And you can't can't stay angry at other people as easily if you remember how much you've been forgiven. That's a good one. Now you see remembrance, the whole thing. Go go ahead. I was going to say, you know, uh, in because we are New Testament believers, um, as you said in that question, seeing ourselves like God sees us seems to really help, and it really helps me, um, which. I'm in Christ. We're in Christ. So really when God looks at me, he sees Jesus and not me and all of my imperfections because, you know, when it comes down, you know, when something comes up or, or somebody asks for prayer or what have you, my first thought can't be, can I do this or the mistakes I made today or yesterday or it has to be, I think Jesus could do that. And so not looking at me, just keeping eyes off of me and then keeping eyes on him. You know, I think Jesus could pull that off. What? 
you know, seeking for in prayer, or what somebody asks for me in prayer, or you know, it's just always putting the focus on Him, regardless of how successful I am in the walk of Christ or how unsuccessful I am in this walk of Christ. It's still, you know, comes down to those things that are in the word, like whatsoever I ask the Father in his name, he'll do it. You know, the confidence I have in him, if I ask anything according to his will, you know, he's gonna hear me. Whatever I ask, he's gonna do it. And you know, um, I think an old testament one, he did something like he knows knows the Lord that God shall do great exploits where knowing him is is knowing Jesus, you know, and um, in him. So, you know, and he's always in it. So it's like you're never stepping outside of him. And so, you know, that, 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 I know that helps. It helps me. And, and I try to always remember that, you know, and remembering it probably as much in the success and the failures. But sometimes success can kind of deceive you, you know, dull my mind, yeah. something that, you know, will get me cocky or something, or confident, or mm -hmm. thinking about the flesh, or, you know, but, you know, so that was just something I was thinking about. That's good. And That's good. My friend that I've known a long time, she messaged me the other day and she was not feeling very well at all. She's had some issues and she was working and she can't, you know, she talks on the phone. That's what her job is at, at home. And she just, in between, she says, gosh, I'm not feeling very well. She was, um, this and this, she told me a bunch of things going on. And I listened to what she said and it was nothing I could do but message her back. I couldn't talk to her. And something rose up in me, and I go, at first it was like, well, I, I don't know what I can, I can just pray for. But then I had something rise up, which has been dealing, you know, God's been dealing with me. It's like, stop looking at what you, what I want you to do is in your own strength. You can do nothing without me. It's not, it wasn't condemning. So something rose up in me, and I go, you know what? I can't do anything but text or messenger. And when I, I was, I messaged her right then and there, and I could feel it rise up in me. It's like, this is not about me. It's about you, Jesus. It's about what you did. I'm going to speak words to her, and she receives them very well. So I wrote this. I wrote out to her as though I was talking to her. Mm -hmm. I command this. I, this is not this. You know, whatever I, she needed, and, it's, and then I ended with, you know, by his stripes you're healed, and all. You know, anything I felt on my heart. And a little bit later, she went back. She was, thank you so much. And then later on the day, she said she was feeling better. Okay. I go, but I knew that I didn't do anything. There was nothing I did. All I did is obeyed and a simple term going. There, I, nothing, that was, I'm not doing anything. I'm only I'm just praying is what God has did, you know, what Jesus did. And it was, it's, that's how I look at that thing. So like, it's what he did. Stop looking at all the things I do wrong and look at all the things he did right. Healing, forgiveness, mercy, anything we need is all what he did, believe in what he did. Just get out of the way and just do it. 
And if you fail, it's not you failing. And, and God did this, the person's not receiving or whatever. But if you do what he's saying, either in you know, texting or calling or praying for somebody firsthand, you just go, I'm doing it just because I'm doing it. You know, because that's what God said. Don't look at my right stand. It's not going to do anything. I don't have right standing in him. That's right. That's good. That's good. That's good. Because as I was reading Deuteronomy 28, you know, the, there's a condition on top to the blessing if you obey. Mm -hmm. So on the basis of that, I'm disqualified. And all of us are disqualified. See, I couldn't do nothing. But based on who we're in relationship with, we qualify. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So just like David, just like Joshua, just like Caleb, all of them, these old, these old Testament men, they could look at Deuteronomy 28 and stand on it. How much more confidence should we have to walk in what was promised? Because he, Jesus met the conditions for me. He met the conditions for you. And I like, you know, what Terry mentioned earlier about the, the communion table. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of thee. He didn't say once a month when you do this. Right. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say that. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So when you, you take the bread and the cup, you're taking the time to reflect and to honor and appreciate what he did. So that, that word remember is like running theme through the study because you can see how forgetting the goodness of God, it leaves a subject to hardness, yeah. to carnality. That's how people who take communion uh, unfaithfully. I've said as many of you that are sick because you don't, you're not, you're not, you're not doing the right thing when you take communion. Not discerning His blood and His body and and what He did. You know they're, they're just you know, another tradition. Yeah, like like, like mm -hmm. communion is really like a prescription. I mean, if you really study it out. Is a key to health there, and uh, you have to do it right. Yeah. You know, I had a question, um, and um, Stacey and I, we were talking about this the other day, I guess about a week or so ago. Every time we sit down to eat and, of course, drink, um, you know, we talked about applying that communion, complying that, applying that word, like every time we, we sit down to eat, you know. I think that's what the early, early church did that, I think. I mean, I mean wouldn't that be, mm -hmm. I guess, would that be scripturally accurate to do so? Yeah, because the mm -hmm. early church had bread and wine with almost every meal, so I'm sure they, they did it regularly. And they actually were getting to the heart of the matter, not just like you know, okay, well, this is the bread, not that I'm making fun, but this is the wine, you know. They, and it's your, it's your heart attitude. It's your heart attitude, yeah. That's what it is. The they whole believe, thing is, the whole thing is your heart attitude. Do it like we said, you know, today, 
baptisms are done like water, ha ha, you know, pun intended, but it, like it was like, you know, we get baptized, baptized, baptized. Like, do you really know? Do you really know Jesus? You know, is that really, you know, instead of doing it traditionally, you know, do it, you know, with your heart. Do you think maybe when the terminology changed and we labeled it the elements or the Eucharist, that separated it from the everyday, it was the table. Believers were sharing the table, even though they didn't, Christ didn't sit at a table like we do, it was probably more on the floor, yeah. pillows kind of thing. But the point was, it was the table that they were sharing. And we put these terms, yeah. the element, oh, get the elements. No, they were eating bread and eat, drinking wine. It was part of everyday life. Yeah. And we've kind of separated ourselves from how natural that was. By calling it something else. Yeah, they were always said they're like, you know, mm -hmm. and they a special occasion like for that has nothing to do with gathering and fellowshipping around the table. Because in our experience, we found that by having the communal meal, people behave differently when they come and eat at your house, and you sit every week and you you talk to these people and you're eating. They lighten up. They take their religious faces off. And you can see a difference then when we go into the to the den to have service, quote unquote. Then people get a little bit more religious, you know, but it's helped us to get to know each other and to just great. lay the masks down by eating Food. together. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's good. It's very important. Food. That's good. Now, David, um chimed in, not 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 biblical David, I'm talking about our David. That's a part of our group. He said, communion, he made the statement, communion is the way of escape. Communion is the way of escape. All right. So since we talk about this, I want to go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians real quick. 1 Corinthians 11. All right. And I'm going to start at verse 17. All right. Just to get us, give us a picture of what, you know, what we're talking about. All right, um, in the New Limit Translation, and I'm, I'm going to go to a different translation as I get down lower. Okay, all right. It says, but in, the follow, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to the extent, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not fully interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry in to, to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry and while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly would not praise you for this. Verse 24. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my, with my blood. 
Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's why I think Kevin's right, because he can say every time you gather together, he said every time you eat this bread and drink this cup. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to switch over to the Amplified Classic. Now, we're going to look at these last few verses, okay? So then, whatever, whoever eats and drinks, eats, eats the bread or drinks the cup in, of the Lord in a way that is unworthy of him will be guilty of profaning and sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man thoroughly examine himself, and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now look at verses 29 and 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body, eats and drinks a sentence, a verdict of judgment upon himself. Now, do you hear what the Amplified says here? For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing the due with due appreciation, that is Christ's body. That's the true discernment of by, of Christ's body. It's not self-examination in, in the sense of, of you judging yourself, like your worthiness. The whole reason I need the table is because I'm unworthy. Yeah. yeah. That's what most people preach. Yes. That's what I say. Examine yourself. Yes. That's not it. We had um, the former church priest years ago. They, the pastor, and I believe he did have on his heart, God showed we needed to do communion every week instead of every month. But we had the bad belief system that we had to have all of our sins repented for us. You know, I was saying, all right, yeah, we've all been we had to be straight from the And you had to have all your and forgiveness and all your eyes done and all that stuff. He did. And what a stress. And every week. And then, you know, you're sitting there and you go, like, oh, I've forgiven everybody to do this. And it was such a strain. It came to work, didn't it? No. No, yeah. because there'd be people who would not take it because they didn't think yeah. they were worthy. Right. Absolutely right. me. Time, right. You know, and, and that's and see and that's not that that's coming from a man-centered gospel, mm-hmm. which which is not a gospel, mm-hmm. instead of a Christ-centered gospel, because you in, you ended up discerning your own body instead of the Lord's. Yes, I did mm-hmm. that. I did not. I did not. I did not. And verse thirty in the Amplified class is that careless and unworthy participation. Is the reason many of you are weak and sickly, and and quite quite enough of you have fallen into the sleep of death? Mm-hmm. It's right here. Mm-hmm. It's right here. There's healing right there. Right, you discern correctly what Jesus did by His stripes you're healed. It's healing right there. Mm-hmm. It's a prescription. Mm-hmm. You know how much I think to myself when you do something the way we can say, you know, like used to think, you know, religiously you had everything perfect. How much more brokenness and heartache is that causing? You know, mentally and emotionally and I know and you, use some, you know, your profession you see a lot, you know, just the religiosity and like, I'm never good enough, I'm never good enough. And it's like and then you're hurting yourself worse and well, you're sitting, you never are. Yeah, exactly. Nobody yeah. is. You're sitting there with this bread and this water, like juice in your hand and 
you know, a gospel that's gospel, quote unquote, that's actually harmed you worse, you know. And anyway, I was just thinking it's just sad, you know, we don't know what God really means about something. You have to give credit to Curry Blake because that's where we had our minds change, change yeah. to the truth and flip that verse. Because we used to think. Well, if you kicked the cat, argued with your wife, or you thought something bad, like everybody, that, that, that's you shouldn't take communion. Then you know, I've actually heard people preach that if you haven't forgiven this this way, if you're holding something against somebody, don't come up Which here. Which is and really take silly because it's the blood that makes us righteous, yeah, right, worthy. It's not whether right. we're confessed up, right, right. Now, again, now I'm gonna go to verse. I'm gonna read verse 31 and see. Let's look. Let's. If we looking at it through a Christ-centered lens or a man-centered lens, it's gonna be how we did how we digest this verse. Verse 31. For if we searchingly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, we should not be judged. And penalty and, and penalty decreed by the divine judgment. We should not be judged and penalty decreed by divine judgment. If we searchingly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our condition. Now, from a Christ-centered perspective, I come to the table. I recognize in my flesh, in myself, I'm not worthy mm -hmm. of this table. But because, because I am unworthy. I am able to partake of this table because I need it. And he has given it to me as a gift. Mm -hmm. So I'm receiving it in remembrance of him in thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's why. That's what makes, that's what, that's how I participate worthily is to understand my need. It's a confession of my need. And it's a proclamation of his goodness for me. And I, I'm receiving it. For me to take it unworthily is to just pop, plop it in your mouth and drink it like it's Welch grape juice and, and crackers and, 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 some, and some stale Ritz. And it just, uh, you know, some religious tradition you do every Sunday. Yeah, yeah I mean, every, you know, every once, once, every once, a, once a month. You get to where it's like a ritual instead of something that's special. Right. Because it, it's, not, it's not even necessary, it's not the frequency that's the issue. It's the reverence you place on it. Like, what? what is it? Is it a superstition? Is it a religious rite? Or is it you remembering what the Lord has done for you? I'll get to a place where I'll crave communion. If I don't do it for a while, I start to crave it. I know, I know it's time. But if you do it every day, you can lose the value of it. When you're sick, you don't. No, no, no. Yeah. No, you're sick. No. No. Yeah. Well, it's my wife's blood. Yeah. I like what Mary said. There. She said she wakes up in the morning. She got crud in her in her brain. You ought to have this brain, girl. I mean, I, mean, I need I need to plug a spiritual hose in one ear and run it out the other. There might be a reason why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of needy people up in here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh. I wake up sometimes and say, "Where did that thought come from, man?" Well, that, see, that's the thing of it, though. That's a good question to ask too, because 
you know, obviously our own evil selves, but there's there's just so much going on that yeah, we don't is. understand. Yep. And that I you know that the the weak areas, the the open doors that we allow in our own lives by unbelief mm-hmm. get played with, I'm sure, in our sleep. So it's not a matter of of um, taking it on as a guilt. It's just saying I'm. I'm dirty and I need washing. I need washing now by you, Father. I'm so thankful that there's that the minute I wake up. Yeah. So just like with that that scenario when Jesus watches washes Peter's feet. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what it's that's how I see it. Yeah. That's it. And that's what communion is about too to me too. In all honesty, it's that same um Realizing who we are, our humbly in Christ, and then just in so much gratitude, receiving what He's already done for us. And the and the other thing um, uh, when Kevin was talking, I was thinking of too is that that remembrance has come really strongly this year. That remembrance that the Holy Spirit is actually in us and has sealed us. That that has really been an amazing. Um, Revelation for me, I know, um, that has really made a difference in this day-by-day flesh walk. Just knowing that, that the Holy Spirit, all of heaven, has a door now in me, <laughs> in a sense. And, and we can receive open, open-handedly open from the Lord. It's amazing. Like those verses at the beginning of Ephesians. All right, so we are going to see, we are going to endeavor to see through the lens of Christ's broken body and shed blood and his his ascension to the right hand of the Father because we are co-laborers with him, joint heirs. All right, social media family, thank you for joining us. See you next week. Thank you, guys. Good night, guys.